developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Linda Joy Worth. I was introduced to Linda by Melanie Grunwald from the uh, Kabbalah Experience Center. You'll find out how amazing a person that Linda is as you'll quickly see her honesty, humor, and insights. Today we're going to talk about not letting anyone try to convince you of what you can do, or who you can be. As Linda says, only you can determine this. Hold on to your dreams and keep moving forward. But before we get started, let me just tell you a little bit about Linda. Linda was born blind. She grew up at a time where there were very few resources uh, to assist her in dealing with her special needs. Many of the schools she attended were uncertain how to accommodate a blind student. However, Linda overcame the roadblocks that uh, were constructed and she successfully completed her education. Linda earned a bachelor's degree from Florida State University and later achieved a master's in social work from the University of Denver. She's worked 28 years in the field of geriatric long-term care. The challenges and obstacles that she's encountered during her her life has helped her to become a more compassionate advocate for her residents and families. It's funny, when I was introduced to Linda uh, by Melanie, we were on Zoom, and I took one look at her and knew that I had seen her somewhere before. And then I realized, and she explained, that she's been in music and theater for many, many years. She's been in 30 plays and musicals, both in Chicago and Denver. And uh, I make it a habit of seeing the uh, theater company called Family, P-H-A-M-A-L-Y, which is a theater company for those with mentally and and physical handicaps. Wonderful top productions that they put on yearly. And Linda's been a star in many of those productions. And that is where I first uh, saw her. Linda is a motivational speaker, and she's presented to groups uh, of school children, all the way to professional conferences on topics ranging from issues of aging to disability awareness. I love her book, and this is how I think Melanie really thought that we'd be a good match in speaking together. Her book is called Because I Am Blind Does Not Mean I Can't See. 
And, you know, my book is called Vision Beyond Sight. That's the name of this podcast. So I think it's going to be very interesting to really look inside and see what we all can see. Through her optimistic outlook, Linda encourages everyone to know that in spite of the challenges and hardships they face, if we believe in ourselves and accept all the gifts around us, we can accomplish what we're set out to do. And she's going to show the reader of this book and the listener of this podcast the importance of moving positively into the future while letting go of the past. Uh, Linda is an active um, advocate with a foundation fighting blindness. She's a mother of four and a grandmother to seven. So it's truly my honor to have you here on Vision Beyond Sight. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's great. So let's kind of go back as a child and talk about what it was like when you were, you know, called a blind child and what resources were available for you. Sure. Well, I grew up, I went to school in the 50s. And, of course, this was way before the ADA or the idea of inclusion for all children. And I lived in a, in a suburb of Chicago, and it was time to go to school. And the elementary school, we don't know what to do with her. You know, she's blind. We don't have any resources. We don't have any any experience in teaching blind children. Uh, my mother and my father, though, pushed the envelope, and they said, we would like her to go here. And um, so they admitted me, and it was very difficult. I could not participate in class. Uh, the teacher would write on the board. I couldn't see what she was writing. I couldn't read the books. I would go up at resource and look at the blackboard, and the teacher would make a check mark. And I could kind of see the outline of the check mark. I had maybe 5% central vision acuity. But, of course, I couldn't read. So I learned the alphabet at home. My mother would, she bought plastic alphabet letters. And that's how I learned the upper and lowercase letters. Uh, but for first grade, I just kind of struggled along. And on my report card, the teacher said to my mother, well, this child is doing as well as can be expected considering the circumstances, and we're just going to pass around to second grade. Well, they just didn't know what to do with me, so just pass around. So second grade wasn't a whole lot better. And then my mother they, my mother remarried and moved into uh, Chicago proper, and I was fortunate enough to be placed in a school that did have a few resources for blind, deaf, and learning disabled kids. So I was put in what they called a sight-saving class, which was where they used large print. Well, even that I couldn't do. Uh, so finally they said, okay, this child needs to learn Braille. I didn't know what Braille was, never heard about it. My mother, unfortunately, didn't have any support system. She didn't know about any resources for children like myself. And when I came home and I said, hey, Mom, they're going to put me in a Braille class, and they said I can really learn to read. Well, my mother was so upset, she just sat down and cried because I think it made her realize how severe my vision problem was. And um, however, I was excited. I was learning to read. So through this class, um, I had to start over. Even though I was supposed to be in the third grade, I didn't know how to read. 
so they started to teach me the alphabet, and they said, okay, we're going to try to catch you up with your age level. So I was given two sets of books at once. And in Chicago, this, the year was split in half so that you actually could start a new grade in January and, and finish in December. So in September, they started me in first grade, and they gave me books for both half of the first grade year. And the next semester, they gave me both halves of the second grade year. And the next semester, they gave me both halves of the third grade. So I was doing two semesters in one. But I was so excited about learning how to read. It was just a wonderful vista that had opened to me, and it was wonderful. So I, I was almost caught up, and then we moved. And we moved back into the suburbs, and they didn't have that semester system. Oh, my. So they, they told me, they said, okay, I was just beginning the fifth grade. And my peers were finishing the fifth grade. And they said, okay, if you can pass the rest of the year with C and above, we'll let you go on to sixth grade. Otherwise, you have to, you have to repeat the fifth grade. And I worked so hard, and they, they put me into sixth grade. So that was the beginning of, of my education. And every time we moved, which was frequently, I went into a different system. Some had resources. Some had none. Some had resource teachers. Um, sometimes I was pretty much on my own, and um, but I, I'm glad. I'm glad I had those experiences because it taught me how to become independent, how to adapt to new situations, and how to share my needs with my teachers and the people around me so that they could help me. And I'm very fortunate to have found teachers and counselors that were willing to go the extra step to say, okay. We're going to work with you. You know, Linda, this story is unbelievable on many levels. One, you know, they throw, you had mentioned, resource for the deaf, blind, and learning disabled. Like they're all, you know, a package with similar needs. And they're so different with all the needs. But people think of it that way. And and I know when we were young and growing up, if you saw somebody blind, you were afraid to, you know, talk to them or talk too loud, thinking they couldn't hear you. And so... The misunderstandings, lack, lack of education amongst um, others, especially uh, in the educational field, is astonishing. But your story is such a testament to your resilience and intellect. I mean, to be excited, to be really on this course by yourself um, is truly amazing. Do you recall, you know, when you were a kid? I mean, you, you talk with such excitement and such optimistic attitude. Do you recall, you know, like the frustration or emotional impact all of this had on you when you were a child? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And um, when I was a kid, I was a, a pretty happy kid and pretty optimistic. And I think that for a while, I didn't really have an awareness that people might be looking at me strangely or um, treating me differently. And then when I, when I began, became more aware of that as I was getting older. I, I, it was sad to me. Um, I remember I went to an amusement park in Chicago, and I think I was 10 or 11, and they had this giant roller coaster called the Bobs. And it was just wonderful, and all the kids loved it. And in order to get on the roller coaster, you had to stand in line for quite a long time, I mean maybe 45 minutes or an hour. And I stood in line with my family, and I got up to the turnstile, and they said, I'm sorry, she can't ride. 
And we go, what? And, nope, she's blind. She can't ride. It's too dangerous. And I said, but, you know, I'll just step into the car and hold on to the bar like everybody else. Nope, sorry, you can't ride. So that was that was one thing um, that I was just like, I didn't understand. Why, just because my eyes didn't work, couldn't I ride this wonderful roller coaster? You weren't born with the biases of the rest of the world. <laughs> um, not seeing and knowing was such an advantage. You know, this reminds me of a story when I was in optometry school. So this is around 40 years ago, 45 years ago. Just how, you know, such lack of understanding people in education, especially with special needs. We um, would go to schools and do screenings. And one of our screenings uh, was scheduled to really uh, learn and, and do a vision screening at a blind school. And for our listeners, blind doesn't mean that there's, you know, there's different levels of blindness. It's not always pitch black, you see nothing. It could be at different distances or different uh, light settings or different parts of your field. And so at this school, there were people with all different, you know, uh, types of visual impairment and blindness. They wanted us to see this classroom where they had a star student who read Braille faster than anybody else in the class. And what happened was the teacher was blind, the students were diagnosed as blind, and when the star student was presented to us to read, what the student did was to hold the Braille about at two inches from her eyes and see the Braille print. She wasn't oh. reading with her fingers. <laughs> she, was, she had the vision she could see and, and read so quickly. Well, when this was discovered, the school was so upset, they made a new ruling and said, from now on, lights off in the classroom. And you kind of go, now, wait a minute, what kind of, you know, conclusion do you make out of she found that she could use her sight instead of, you know, turning the lights off, maybe she could be taught in a different method. And so it just shows you sometimes the absurdity of conclusions people make um, that don't make any sense. You wonder why in that situation, if she had some vision, why they wouldn't have tried large print or magnifiers. Well, that seemed obvious to all of us, but <laughs> but again, you know, even now, but we're talking about 40, 50 years ago, it was just astonishing um, how little we knew about people. You know, we don't need to know all the medical diagnosis functionally when you see a person operate. The goal is, so let's find their best resource for learning and be creative if the traditional ones aren't the ones that always work. Well, and I was I was lucky to have found Braille. Yeah, that's I was lucky to have found Braille because it really opened my world, yeah. and um, and I was also lucky that my my mother and my grandfather pushed for me to be mainstreamed. You know, when 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 I first started in school, it was 1954, three, 53, and they said, "Oh, well, the only thing we can do is institutionalize her. We will send her for the state to the state school for the blind because." That's the only place that she can go. And my parents said, no, don't think so. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, well, what are the kinds of challenges? I mean, you've already talked about, I don't even see you seeing, you know, parts of your stories as challenges. <laughs> you know, what kinds of challenges do you recall as a kid? Um, anything else that you wanted to bring up? Uh, not as a child, no. There were other challenges along the way, however. 
Um, yeah, go ahead and explain some of other things that you've run into over well, the years. Well, in part of the learning, it, it, it's really interesting. I was, um, I guess, uh, when I was in college, I ran into some roadblocks. Um, you know, I went to Florida State University, and some of the main uh, basic classes were taught in auditoriums where there might have been a couple hundred people. And I had, um, I was writing with what they call a slate and stylus. And so you can hear this tap, 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 tap when I'm writing on the slate. And so I would sit in the front row near the professor and I would take my notes. And one day he came to me and said that there was another student. She was not from our country. She was from another country. She had a little bit of difficulty with English. But she came up to him and she complained. I want that woman to stop doing that. It's disturbing me. I can't concentrate. And so the professor said, well, I'm sorry, that's just the way she take note, takes notes, and I am not going to tell her she can't do that because that is her way of learning. So, you know, if you, if you need to sit closer, if you need to have somebody else take notes for you, that's great, but I'm not going to tell her she can't write. So that was one victory that I had that I didn't even expect that he, he advocated for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there was a, I took a physics class. And I couldn't see the diagrams, and I was trying to understand the concept of refraction and reflection. And, and so my, I, had, I hired readers that would read the text to me. And we sat out on the patio of my dormitory, and he took this um, – it, it was like a little um, stylus. It had a very sharp point. And he would draw pictures. He would he – would, they were just like um, – engraved in the paper so that I could feel them. And we noticed that when we took the paper off the table, the same drawings happened to be on the picnic table. So years after I left, there were the drawings <laughs> of my physics class. <laughs> you could go for review at any time on a picnic. Right, right. Um, yeah, so uh, th- those are just two incidents that I remember. Um isn't that great? Well, what kind of instrumentation is technology, certainly with computers and c- computers speaking to you and all, there's lots of new technology. I mean, for you to read a book, for you to write, because I know you're a terrific writer, uh, explain your technology and process in doing those well, skills. Well, now, now, of course, I use JAWS software, so my computer talks to me. I have a reading machine called a Lyric, so if I get a letter in the mail... I can just open the machine and, and it'll read the letter. And of course, I have an iPhone which has accessibility properties. Um, I have a I have a lot of talking products in my house, a talking bathroom scale, which sometimes I don't want to hear. <laughs> um, I have a talking meat thermometer so that when I'm cooking, um, I can check the chem- temperature on meat to make sure it's where it needs to be. Um, so I use a lot of talking products. And, of course, as I mentioned, I do use Braille um, for my contacts, for example. I don't put them on my computer. I have a little card file with all my phone numbers and addresses and passwords and stuff for the computer That because I love Braille. I have Braille labels on my CD collection and Braille labels on my spice jars in my cabinet. So a combination of talking products and Braille is, is how I get along. 
That's great. It kind of dates you when you talk about Braille on your CD products, but <laughs> yeah, most well, people you are know, using I CDs was, I was these born at a time. There was no, there were no computers. Computers really didn't come into their own until well after I started my career. I mean, when I started my career, I used a Braille writer and an electric typewriter. We didn't have talking software. Yeah, what, you know, being blind certainly has so many challenges and consequences, but the the technology field has come up with such great uh, tools and strategies and uh, which is really great, and um, and that's certainly, you know, thinking about 45, 50 years when you didn't have that, yet you still thrived, you still read, you still wrote, but, um, you know, for all of us, you know, technology has made a big difference, certainly in our life. Um, what I want to ask you is about, uh, we're going to get more into your acting experience in the second half of our podcast, but if you just want to share, I mean, how did you get interested in in acting to begin with? You know, I have I had always wanted to act. Even when I was a kid of six or seven, I would make up little stories. With I had a, a little friend that I was in school with, and we'd ride the bus together. And she was also blind. She was a year ahead of me in my school. And we, we had a bus that would pick us up from the various suburbs and deliver us to this school that where I, that I mentioned before that where I learned braille and we would we would make up skits and we would make up songs and then our teachers would allow us to perform these skits in front of our various classes and so I always wanted to do it and and yet my mother said well, that's really foolish you're blind you can't act there's no such thing as a blind actor because what if you fall off the stage or what if you bump into the furniture you can't act so you're just, that's just, you know, a pipe dream. So I always wanted to do it. And so there's one great example, you know, in the intro, you know, when you talked about don't let anybody tell you what you can or can't do, you were filled with those messages. And we all are, you know, with that life. You can't do that. You'll bump and and um, you chose what to listen to or not, did you not? Yes, and it's it's difficult, though, because... So often, those external voices, you, you hear those tapes running in your mind, oh, you can't do it, you know, this is unrealistic, you're just going to be disappointed if you try it, you're going to fail. And so many people listen to those tapes, and they're defeated before they even start. So my message is, don't let anybody tell you you can't, what you can and can't do, who you can't and can't be, because you're the only one that can determine that. That is so very true, and that's the message I'm sure you take into your motivational uh, speaking. And, you know, people will say, what message is? You know, I don't hear any voices. And, you know, <laughs> just stop for one second, close your eyes, and notice the messages that you're getting. What is she talking about? I don't have any message. You know, there's this constant chatter that we all have in our head, and, <clears throat> and the goal of life is to find out how we, you don't stop it, but you, you really have the option of paying attention or not. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for a minute. When we get back, uh, we're going to learn lots more about your career as an actor, as well as actress, as well as your book. So stay tuned. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. 
Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, friends. We're here today with Linda Joy Worth. Linda was born blind, but she's telling us her story of overcoming so many obstacles. And I don't even think she saw many of these as obstacles because she was determined to hold on to her dreams and move her life forward. So let's move into... um, your career, Linda. Tell us a little bit about your career and some of the challenges you had in that. I um, got a degree, um, a master's in social work from the University of Denver, and I, I worked in long-term care, which is um, long-term care, nursing homes, assisted livings, independent livings. <clears throat> and I remember um, I had worked for a couple of different organizations, but every time I changed jobs and I had the last job I had was for 23 years, but the first few, they were a year, two years apiece. I was trying to find the right place, but every time I would go into a new job, I had to prove myself because, you know, people are afraid of things they don't understand or they or they haven't experienced, and it's not because they're bad. It's They're ignorant of situations that are foreign to them, and they need to be educated, and they need to... Um, they need to experience and understand somebody's differences 
before they can release the fear and prejudice <clears throat> excuse me, that they might feel. So a lot of people were afraid of me when I went into a new place. They didn't know how to treat me. And there's one situation I want to share. It's just really interesting. I was, um, I was a social worker, and I had a question. And I went up to the nurse's station, and um, I, the nurse didn't respond to me. And I said, excuse me, I have a question. Silence. I said, um, Mary? And silence. Oh, maybe, maybe she's on the phone. I better, I better wait till she hangs up. But I didn't hear her talking on the phone. And I said, I said, Mary, I have a question for you. No silence. So finally, he said, Okay, Mary. I said, My question is, did Mrs. Smith have her breakfast this morning? She hasn't been eating well, and her family's very concerned that she's losing weight. Can you tell me, did she have her breakfast this morning? Silence. But okay, Mary, I guess that you probably don't know, as the charge nurse on this unit, whether one of your residents ate. So I guess I'll just have to ask the director of nursing, and she can find out for so that I can relate this to the family. Yeah, she had her breakfast. She had everything. <laughs> hmm. So that's just one, one of the kinds of challenges that I, I would meet. Um, and that's so got to be frustrating, not, not. I don't even know the emotion. I mean, how do you deal with that and and move forward when people respond to you like that? You know, I just try to communicate my my narrative, my story. I just try to. One of the first things I try to do when I go into a new place is try to make people feel comfortable with me. Um, I use humor, but I also allow people to ask questions. You know, ask me if you don't understand something. If something bothers you about me or the way I do things, please ask me, and I'll be happy to share with you. Because uh, I think that's the only way people can learn, and by learning and understanding, then that fear and prejudice begins to dissipate. Yeah, that's so welcoming and generous of you to do that. Kind of curious, what are some of the you know, common and maybe not-so-common questions that you get? Well, you know, some of the... Oh, gosh. And I've taught school kids, too. I love school kids because they're not afraid to ask questions like, how do you eat? <laughs> you know, how, how do you um, one little kid? I was in a, in a show a couple of years ago and this little four year old was talking to somebody and uh, she said, that lady up there is blind. And the lady said, yes, she is, honey. And the little girl said, well, then how does she walk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the older um movies, they would depict blind people as always wearing dark glasses or oh, I would like to see what you look like. Can I feel your face? And so people would come to me and say, "Would you like to feel my face?" No, thank you. That is not me. That's, you know. <laughs> That's always um, a theme of some movies. They I've Yeah, movies yeah, and, yeah. Or or fresh. they see blind people as very dependent. Uh, they want to help you. They don't. They don't ask, "Would you like help?" They just automatically assume you need help, and then they decide in what way you should need help. Which you know, my thing to people is, never be afraid to ask, "Do you need help?" And if somebody says no, thank you, respect that. Respect that of their independence. Yeah, that's great. Um, anything else in your career? I mean, are you working now? Or? I am retired. Um, thinking about maybe going back to work part-time, although I haven't made up my mind yet. Uh -huh. 
Isn't that great? Well, let's talk about your experience as a, a blank, blind actress. Uh, you told us about how you always loved to do shows and songs and, and you and your friend did performance, but then you got serious about it, really you know, started trying out and got into some uh, roles in theater. Right. When I was in Chicago, I worked for a company, and <clears throat> excuse me, um, a friend of mine, or, well, he wasn't a friend then, a co-worker, had told me at lunch one day that he used to direct off-Broadway theater in New York. And I told him about my dream of acting, and he said, you know, I'm going to start a small repertory company, and why don't you come and audition for me? And I did, and he cast me in his first two shows, and um, I loved it. I was in heaven. I was a very quick study. I could memorize lines, you know, faster than anybody, uh, really get into the character. But what my challenge was, I wanted to look natural. I wanted to move with grace. I wanted to... I wanted to move normally, naturally, so that so that I wouldn't be stilted or, or have my gestures look funny. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I would work when I would start, and and still do is the gestures I want and the movements. So I would spend most of my time working on that. And I have a funny story about that. <laughs> One Saturday, the director and I were working. We worked in the back of this. Uh, restaurant in Old Town, Chicago. There was a great big room with a stage. And we were working, and we were working on a play by Tennessee Williams. And it was about a madam and her girls. And uh, she was dying. And we were in this scene, and he was go- we were going through the gestures and the motions, and he was helping me. And it was a fight scene. And one of my lines was... Um, Get me, get me police headquarters, please. And uh, one of Chicago's men in blue heard me yelling. <laughs> they, walked in, they walked in the theater and they saw us struggling and they thought it was real. <laughs> well, that again attests to your ability to really perform well and look like it was really happening. <laughs> and then, and then one 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 scene in one time in Chicago, there's a there's an adage in theater that. You know, the props get set out before the show, and you don't mess with the props. Um, Just leave them where they are. And one show I went on, and I was supposed to walk over to this side table, pick up a hat, and do this monologue looking in a mirror with this hat. And I walked over to the table, and the hat was gone. And I thought, oh, my goodness, is it here? I just maybe just can't see it. Maybe it's two feet away. And we had an audience, and I'm going, so I'm pantomiming in the mirror, all the while inside being terrified that... I'm looking like this fool because this hat may be two feet away from me and I can't see it, but I have to go on. The show started. So then it goes on and I sit down and another actress comes in and we're, we have a dialogue about the hat because we're supposed to have identical hats. But we only had one hat because we were so poor. Our company was so poor that <laughs> I would put the hat down and then she would come and she would pick up the hat and we'd continue the dialogue she came in, and I thought, Did she, does she know where the hat is? I wonder if she has it on. But I had to continue with the dialogue because I thought I didn't know if she had the hat on or not. Well, come to find out she did because she had picked it up from the prop table and was dancing around backstage, didn't realize the curtain had gone up. And so <laughs> uh, that, that was just one funny thing that happens, you know. It's like, okay, you just have to keep going no matter what. The show goes on. It sounds like improvisation it, is... It. 
you're great at improvising, whatever. You know, I did have a question when you talked about your gestures and body movements. And I don't know if you ever danced, if you were ever a dancer on yes. stage. Great. So is it the body awareness, body memory that you depended on? Or or do you visualize for however you describe visualization? Visualize and practice, you know, like athletes and dancers and musicians. Do you run that whole scene in your head somehow? No. Actually, um, I learn verbally or actually by hands-on. And I'm sure... In family, in the family theater company, we have a wonderful choreographer named Debbie Stark, and I bet you know her. She's and, a very close family friend of ours, yes. And she um, she is so wonderful. She will explain the dance moves and the dance gestures. And for the blind people, if if you don't, if I say, Debbie, I'm, I'm not getting it, <clears throat> she will either come and move my arms and my hands the way she wants physically, or she will actually have me touch her making the gestures. It's a wonderful, I mean, it's just this physical sense memory then. I can exactly see how the arm is supposed to be and how the hands might be splayed out or how the knees are bent or the feet are pointed. And so that is the way I learned. If I cannot learn by somebody saying, okay, you know, do this move. If I've done the move before and she identifies it by name, then I can do it. But if she says, okay, this is what I want you to do, she either moves my arm or allows me to feel her. I mean, it's that's the way I learn dance moves. And then in your rehearsing of that move, is it the body memory, the muscle memory that takes you through? Or again, you know, when I talk about visualization, it's very multi-sensory. See it, hear it, feel it, move it. You know, it's uh, all the senses and imagery. Would yes, you... it is. It is. And then I also depend on cues like... Um, you know, you got it. That's perfect. Or, uh -huh. you know, no, let's let's make this adjustment. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, I just I try to I try to um, memorize those movements and see how they feel as I'm doing them. And then, you know, ask for feedback to make sure that I've learned it correctly. You know, um, when we first you and I spoke a couple months ago, I had commented, and again, I hear you using so many visual kinds of words and description. I see it. I, you know, you're a very visual thinking kind of person, which is what I find fascinating to explore in my work is, you know, vision within is not necessarily the same as outside vision. And the goal is, is there a match, you know, and how do we interpret what we see, just like there's voices in our head, there's some kind of imagery. If you've never experienced vision, it could be more of a tactile imagery or an auditory imagery or, or something, but it's just fascinating. And so thanks for answering the questions about your process, because uh, that's an area of just human behavior that, uh, that fascinates me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, continue on with some of your great shows and explain to our listeners about... Uh, Family, which is a theater group that I just love and, and have seen so many top-notch productions. Family is a company that's all-inclusive. We have actors with physical, emotional, intellectual, uh, developmental disabilities um, and challenges. And it is, it is marvelous how all of us have our own needs, um, and yet we learn to 
express what we need and learn how to um, provide needs for our our fellow actors. So we learn what each other needs. So it, it brings us beyond our own disability, beyond our own needs, and gives us an understanding and awareness of what somebody else needs. What does a person in a wheelchair need that's different for, from what I need? What does a hearing-impaired person need that I need to help understand and, and give them? And I'll give you an example of how family works. Um, there's a lot of people in wheelchairs, and some of them are power chairs. They're pretty heavy, and they go pretty fast. And when you're on stage, sometimes you're moving quickly. And there's blind people. And sometimes blind people in wheelchairs, um, blind people meet immovable objects in a wheelchair. <laughs> they, um, they can be dangerous. You know, if I'm walking on stage and somebody doesn't see or clips a corner, you know, you could get your foot run over. Um, and those are pretty heavy. So we found ways to work together. And I remember in one show, um, we were doing a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And there was a, the beginning scene was just really chaotic. And we were running in and out of different entrances and exits during the first song. There was wheelchairs. There was blind people. There was people with, um, you know, prosthesis. And it was pretty chaotic. And um, I developed a system with somebody in a wheelchair that, at the end of this one scene, I would grab onto this wheelchair. They would run around. They would they would take me around the outside of the the stage really fast. We'd go really fast. I'd be running behind this chair, and they would be guiding me. So I was using the chair as a guide. Um, so in that way, we were helping each other. In another situation, there was a manual wheelchair. We were doing a fight scene, and I was supposed to run, grab onto this wheelchair, propel it toward the exit. It, and the person in the wheelchair had eyes. They were supposed to gui be guiding me, and I was being the propellant for the chair. And in one one day, we had an audience, and I went and I ran in and I grabbed the wheelchair, and she's guiding me. And what he didn't know is the Roman hood she was wearing fell over her face, and she oh, couldn't no. see where she's going. And the audience is laughing, and the people are screaming, and the band is playing. She had no way of communicating to me that she couldn't see where we were going. And I was r literally running behind this chair. And so instead, we almost made it to the exit, but we I accidentally swiped the side of the exit so the wheelchair went crash against the side of the exit. Well, the wheelchair started to collapse, and the person in the chair had said, whatever happens, if you feel the wheelchair collapsing, pick me up because I just had surgery and I can't fall on the floor. So the wheelchair went crash against the side of this wall. I feel the chair collapsing. I reached under her arms. I lifted her up and carried her off stage. Oh, and my gosh. The crew, the crew was standing there, and they, they got the chair. They righted the chair. And you know how in, in a moment of, you know, high adrenaline, sometimes even though it's, it's stressful, you want to laugh? And right. she and I just stood there for about 60 seconds giggling, and then we were back on stage because nobody was hurt. But it was one of those things that happens. What a story. I mean, that's phenomenal. And talk about having trust lessons every moment of the uh, <laughs> the show. Um, I'm so glad you shared those stories because I, I remember that's what's always impressed me, how they used each other's strength and disability 
to you know go through the whole scene and and I remember the wheelchairs and the and often the blind people and it's it's fabulous and so I encourage everybody to uh, uh, really check them out online and 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 support them and go to many of their very entertaining shows. Well, Linda, we're almost out of time, and I want to make sure you talk about your book and how people can reach you. My book is called Just Because I'm Blind Doesn't Mean I Can't See, and I wrote it to kind of share my story and to allow people to know that no matter who we are and what our challenges might be, we all have successes and failures and dreams, and we need to follow the dreams that we have. And as I said before, don't listen to those voices that say, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't be this, you, you have to follow this path, you have, have to follow your own path. So I try to use humor, and some uh, sections of my book have some sadness, some are exciting, some are disappointing. I mean, I just share different aspects of my life, from raising kids to my career to my theater to my spiritual outlook, and I just want to share my story because I think it's through sharing our narratives that people begin to understand, and those barriers of division and fear and prejudice come down. Um, and I hope that it. I wrote it not only for people with challenges, but for people who are parents, children, teachers, friends of people that are differently abled, so that maybe they can gain some awareness of you know, what it's like to be a little different from the way they are. And for people with challenges to know that just keep going. You know, maybe maybe they'll find some motivation, some inspiration in this book. Um, it's just my story, and it's not the story of every blind person because we're all unique, but it's my story, and I wanted to share it to maybe spread some light, um, some understanding and awareness. And you can get it through Amazon. Um, it's published in Kindle and in print, um, paperback. And right now, and I don't know what the process is, but I know that there's a copy on the shelf at the Talking Book Library for the Blind waiting to be recorded. That's great. I was wondering if it was uh, in Braille or an audio book or, you know, um, if that was available for those who do have visual impairment. And I will tell you, even if you don't have visual impairment, the use of audio books can sometimes just really be very beneficial. So and that, I, I'd that. like to just add, um, Lynn, if anybody wants to contact me, if they have questions or, you know, would like some information about some resources, um, my email is worth a lot. My name is W-I-R-T-H. A-L-O-T, worth a lot, at live.com. Well, thank you so much, Linda. You have truly been an inspiration. Your book is fabulous. Uh, your act, acting is just wonderful. And I just encourage our, our listeners to uh, check you out, check your book out, uh, go to productions like Family and Joy, and you sharing your story with us today has just truly been delightful. Thank you and, for who you are and what you're doing for this world. And um, we'll be back next week for another great um, Vision Beyond Sight podcast. And remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks, Lynn.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.